Hello, and welcome back to Something Rotten. Uh, listener, it has been a short week for you. It has been uh, nearly a month for Blake and I. This might be the, the longest break we've taken since recording the start of the podcast because... Blake decided to take his little ass down to North Carolina. That's true. Also, the longest break we've taken since starting this podcast was actually like two and a half years. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Correct. After its rebirth. I went on a I went on what you might call a world tour of sorts. You went on a rumspringer. A what? The, you know, the thing that Amish people go on, <laughs> where they like experiment with not being Amish. Yeah. You experimented with not being a Minnesotan. Yeah, I'm happy to report I've decided to use technology, but my family will not talk to me anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to, well, I, I went to Kentucky, then North Carolina, then Kentucky, and then the great island nation of Japan, Jacob. It was an insane few weeks. I can't recommend traveling that hard if you can help it. Usually a few breaks in between make it a little easier on the body and mind. Can I ask, uh, does either the uh, great state of Kentucky or the great island nation of Japan uh, have the fast food chain cookout? So Kentucky does. Yes. Oh, but damn it. Not I was in, hoping for a, a yeah, Trump card. Not in Louisville, though, which is where I'm from and was visiting, so... I've never had cookout in Kentucky. Well, what'd you think? Tell tell me about tell me about cookout. Even though we got it together, I just want to hear you say it. Cookout's great, man. It's it's so the thing. Here's one of my favorite genres of restaurant. Uh, funny restaurants with funny menus. <laughs> yeah, you know you know the type. Your your Applebee's, your Chili's, and definitely mm-hmm. cookout. A restaurant with uh. A scientifically improbable amount of food combinations you can order. And and a menu that looks like uh, Dr. Bronner's soap or <laughs> House of Leaves. Justin, like, trying to read what's going on there. So it was, it appealed to me at my base level to be able to order a burger, a quesadilla, hush puppies, and a cheesecake chocolate or a cheesecake milkshake <laughs> and that's right eat, eat all of that after a wonderful healthy hike that i uh, i think has done irreparable not, not the hike the the meal has done irreparable damage to my body in the ensuing weeks well and you ate it crouching in a parking lot <laughs> which is also part of the cookout experience in extreme heat probably breathing in fumes from passing cars in the drive-thru uh it that's was great right. that's cookout baby one of the highlight of, highlights of my trip but not the best part of my trip to North Carolina, which was, of course, going to a minor league baseball game and watching yeah, watching the Durham Bats, Raleigh Bats? Durham Bulls. Durham Bulls. Get the, oh, oh, yeah, I was getting them mixed up with uh, the Louisville River Bats, uh, our minor mm. league team. Anyway, going to see them get, get the absolute shit knocked out of them. Yeah, what was the score? It was like 9-1. to one. It was unbelievable, but I had a bunch of hot dogs. But here's the thing about minor league baseball. Doesn't matter. We had a great time. We ate hot dogs and saw Wooly Bull. And here's the extra fucked up thing. Uh, Jacob's partner was so nice to go out of her way to find a way to purchase me one of the beer bats, but without beer in it, which was very nice of her. And then I left it at AJ Moser's house on accident. Oh, AJ needs both his and your bats to beat off his dog. <laughs> AJ needs what oh, to boy. do what? <laughs> he 
Wait, what, Jacob? Look, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know if you can find that thing. We, get, we should maybe retake that one. Nope. Sorry, you gotta live All right. with that. Well, AJ's the one who has to live with that. Um, <laughs> and well, Jesus. and then he went to fucking Japan. And then I went to fucking Japan. I, now, there's, there is some of this that I think you can't talk about because it sure. will be in upcoming issues of uh, the magazine Game Informer. But uh, you had a, a chance encounter at a bar... It wasn't, that I'm really trying to hear more about? It wasn't really a chance encounter. It was a calculated decision I made to go meet uh, one of, definitely not my favorite director, but up there in the Pantheon, um, whose name is uh, Shosen Fukui. I, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that exactly right. Jacob, are you familiar with him at all? Nope. So, in the West, he's a... Uh, He's probably most well known. Well, he so he's part of the like um, Japanese cyberpunk movement, specifically the live action movement. There, there's a little bit of a difference between the like anime side, which had maybe a longer history than the live action side. Um, mm-hmm. He did briefly work on Tetsuo, which everyone is familiar with. Uh, as far as I understand, he didn't do much aside from like I think driving some equipment around, but did briefly work on it. Um, but he directed 964 Pinocchio and Rubber's Lover, which are two of his more notable films in the uh, cyberpunk genre. Kind of a, kind of some of the end caps of that whole movement. He also did some amazing shorts called uh, Gerarisuto, I believe, and Caterpillar. Anyway, this is all beside the point. Um, he didn't have the longest career. He still like pops up and like directs some like small budget things and does some like um, art performances. But his, as far as I can tell, day-to-day job is just running this bar in Higashi Nakano, my favorite neighborhood in Tokyo. Oh, I didn't know. I did not know this part of the story. I thought that he was just a patron. No, 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 I no. I thought no. that you walked in and he was at this bar. No, no, no. I went to his bar. He runs a bar in Higashi Nakano, I, which if you ever go to Tokyo, please go to the Nakano and Higashi Nakano areas. They're one train station apart. Amazing neighborhood. Um, called TV Bar, Kimuri. I believe, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't drink, as listeners might know, but my coworker who was with me, Alex Van Aken, I forced to go to this bar and order beer so I could meet him, and uh, yeah, we went, and I I speak the same amount of Japanese as I'd say a dumb two-year-old, and that I can uh-huh. communicate the most basic things possible, and then anything beyond that is uh, not possible for me. But I went, and I, I don't know if it's his wife or partner or just friend. I'm not exactly sure. They they had some kind of very close relationship, it seemed. But um, we were there and just kind of like sitting around. It's one of those very small Japanese bars you see that seats only like four people um, on like the second story of this building. And uh, I was wearing, funnily, I, I bought a shirt while I was there at uh, same neighborhood actually just down the street at a store called hardcore chocolate that i like a lot for the um movie we've talked about battles without honor and humanity uh-huh. um they had a shirt for the first movie i really wanted so i went and bought it and it ended up being one of the best decisions i made because for uh japanese people of a certain age which i would say is over 40 uh that movie is a big deal and so everyone I encountered that was, uh, like, a little older would see the shirt, and it was the instant icebreaker. 
like numerous interviews started with pe- like dudes being like, "Yo, sick shirt. Where did you get that?" <laughs> was- that's so that's so funny to imagine like like uh, a Japanese guy coming to America to interview game developers picking up like a Godfather yeah, shirt yeah, yeah. and everyone being like, "Yo." <laughs> <laughs> it happened so many times it became like a joke on the trip. But um anyway, we were sitting there and I I heard her like Say t- pointing at my shirt, being like, oh, saying something about it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, hardcore chocolate. Like, I love this movie." Um, but then I was like, "Well, this is the perfect moment." So in my broken Japanese, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, a demo," which means like, "But uh, Fukui-san," and he like looked up at me, and I was like, "And I was like, you know, just movies, your movies, blah blah blah, like uh, Nine Six Four, Gary Suto." And he was looking at me like, oh, cool, you know my movies. And finally I was like, fuck it. <laughs> and I pulled my phone out and used Google Translate. And I was like, I'm a huge fan of your movies. And like, and then uh, he was a super nice guy. And I, I know I am definitely not the only person who is a fan of his movies to go to his bar. I don't think it's very common for um, foreigners who don't live in Japan uh-huh. to just show up and be like, yo, I came here because of I wanted to meet you because I like your movies. And I was like, I don't even drink. I had to order water. And um, Alex, of course, like who I was with, told him like, you know, Blake's been talking about this all week. Like it's all he wanted to do. And so like, I don't want to overstate it, but it did seem like I made their like day. Like they seemed... uh, No, I'm sure they're going to go home and be like, there was this white guy who <laughs> yeah. like knew a lot about my movie. They seemed so stoked. And it, it made my day. I was like, easily the highlight of my trip i mean we were only in there for like probably 20 30 minutes um that's awesome it was very late so i didn't want to stay too long but like it was rad and we talked we we couldn't communicate super well so we ended up just using google translate on our phones to like talk back and forth for a while Uh it was super super cool um super super nice couple that i uh i i can't recommend enough if you're ever in japan go to their bar i assume they probably wouldn't care if we pointing people to their tiny bar it's very small so maybe don't yeah yeah, probably not maybe don't take a a party of like 20 because it can only fit like five people inside it but it was awesome do you know about um i i'm thinking about this kind of idea of like someone working in one industry and then starting essentially like a a food service place that that like if you know you know for yeah. other people uh because i i watched uh recently min max uh the podcast that i'm on other than something rotten uh did this like community documentary festival right, 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 where yeah. people just got to submit something and one of them was about this um this cafe in japan uh called like 84 hashi is it the, Ninten- the nintendo bar? The, yeah the mm-hmm. the secret nintendo bar yep. which now apparently you can you can just like make an appointment to and, and yeah. go to it's like more open but it's just like this bar run by a guy who used to work at nintendo that is just like covered in fucking like original sketches by like miyamoto and everything i mean i immediately zeroed in on like there is a whole section of the wall that's just like the fumitu ueda collection yeah that's just like that going on but it's just like I think it's such a cool idea to be like, oh, I used to work in this industry, and now I'm going to, like, start a cafe for people who work in this industry. Just to, like, hey, you want to come and, like, yeah. talk shit about games? Let's go. I, I mean, uh, uh, the guy, the, like, the, the Tekken guy, 
Um, uh huh. He he runs a bar. He actually does it right. Well, he, he does he do the the YouTube thing that you've talked about? Yeah, out of his. I, I'm fairly certain it's his bar. Um, he does a YouTube channel where he interviews people out of it. Um, but yeah, he has one. I heard. Uh, I don't know if it was true, but I heard about one of the RGG developers having a bar. But I think they were getting him conflated with the Tekken guy. Mm. Uh, but I did hear that on that trip and I've tried to Google around to find it. But um It seems like if one of the RGG guys had anything, it would be a karaoke place. <laughs> I they said it and I was like, that's crazy. I've never heard it. But I don't think it was correct. But I don't know. Maybe it was. What do I know? Um We're interrupting this broadcast to let you know that something rotten is dead. We're doing what? Starting immediately, something rotten is done, finished, gone. Bon voy freaking Oz, Jacob. This podcast is now a Leo Vader fan cast. Every week, we're covering all the latest, hottest, and juiciest news about the Minneapolis movie maker. And if you've seen him, you best believe there's plenty of hot news to talk about. We're, like, as much as I love him, we're not going to do that. Uh, but if you like Leo so much, have you considered signing up to Nebula? To what now? Nebula. Nebula is this wonderful streaming service run by creators with exclusive videos, podcasts, shows, the whole nine yards. I'm on there. Leo Vader is on there. Blake, you're on there. Is that what these checks are from? My God. Okay, here's the deal. When you sign up to Nebula using our code nebula.tv slash something rotten, you get immediate access to early and ad-free episodes of this show and exclusive bonus podcasts featuring guests such as Noah Caldwell-Gervais, Gareth Damian Martin, and Chris Bratt. You also get access to Nebula's entire catalog of creators and content, and your money goes directly towards us making this show better. Do you think Leo feels about me the way I feel about him? I think a better question is, does Leo know you exist? I've literally pooped in his bathroom. I would sure hope so. But yeah, I, they, I was, I wonder how some of those bars exist, because it's like, is property or leasing, like commercial leasing, so cheap over there that you can just run a bar that only fits four people and it's like how do you afford it do you have to own the space and maybe that's how they do it's like they just buy the space and then it doesn't super matter how many people are coming i i don't know but like yeah or or, you know it's just like well if it's if it can only fit four people in it it doesn't cost that much yeah and it's like it's not like there's only one bar in a neighborhood there might be 10 bars in a building you know yeah it's like it's like how are you doing this but anyway uh cool stuff it's a great trip a lot of highlights i can't talk about any of the work stuff but i'll tell you what if you like puzzle games and or rhythm games maybe check game informer and the and or hey i love that show Uh, i I don't i I hardly know her (laughs) (laughs) all right let's let's jump into some questions we have got a lovely Lovely slate of questions from people who have uh, emailed something rotten podcast at gmail.com about our recent Ninja Theory series and also just questions about what makes a rotten game. Uh, we got some some interesting. Can I like can I jump ahead in the questions here? Yeah, because there's yeah. one that I just really want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so this is from uh, Yeshua. 
who emailed us that said, I was pretty against the redesign of Dante at the time, but I didn't really agree with the idea that the pushback from fans was out of homophobia. Uh, I wanted to ask if either of you were aware of the casual homophobia ninja theory used to disparage previous iterations of the character. At a GDC event, they had a whole presentation showing DMC4 Dante photoshopped into Brokeback Mountain, then pointing to a slide of Fight Club yeah. to say, that's what their Dante was like. And it links to uh, to a thread from uh from jackson aka at head falls off on twitter which is one of my favorite accounts that has like several slides which include uh it says dante is not and then it has the george clooney batman and robin with like the uh the nipple buttons and then it says dante is and it has a picture of fucking dane dehan in that found footage superhero movie uh what's that movie called the one by John Landis's kid? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, uh, Max Landis, famous fucking giant asshole. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Which that movie sucks, but that's what Dante is. And then Does it that says movie Dante suck? is. I don't like it. I was thinking about that movie the other day because I was on a plane and I remember the scene where they're flying in the clouds and the plane goes by. It was a cool scene. Man. Yeah, I I bet you could. I think you could probably boil that movie down to, like, a couple of cool-looking scenes. Oh, sure. Uh, but overall. And it has it has Dante is not, and it has a bunch of, I I guess, how would you describe? It looks like kind of proto-emo Japanese high schoolers. Like, is that yeah. what we're looking at? Yeah, it looks almost like a Trigun, co- Trigun cosplay. Yeah. And then I don't know what it's saying Dante is. Like, I don't know who those people are. <laughs> They just look like normal as teenagers. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just just kind of like like skinny smokers. But then there is, as as the email said, this picture of Brokeback Mountain with Dante from DMC Four photoshopped between Heath Ledger and um uh Jake uh Jake Gyllenhaal, and then wait, well no, but this is still this is still old Dante in Fight Club. So yeah, what are they I- saying here? I I mean like Fight Club is pretty homoerotic. Yeah, well I so, I mean obviously, but it seems like are they I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh man, it's so funny. So anyway, I think um I I do think that um a lot of a lot of people complaining about emo wimpy Dante was still I I totally I believe that uh Yeshua uh, didn't see this. I think some of it was there. The memes that I've seen that are basically making new Dante look like yeah. weaker and whinier than old Dante, I think are kind of coded. But uh, this is fucking hilarious. It's it's very good. I'm super confused about the Fight Club part. Are they saying, like, if they're saying old Dante is gay, is Fight Club a point against that or for it? I don't fully understand. Also, uh, there I think there's some examples in the Sphere Hunter video of old YouTube videos that are very homophobic talking about this redesign. So I think, I think a lot of parties were being really shitty, including yeah. Ninja Theory. And I'm a little embarrassed we didn't talk about it in the season because I meant to bring up some of the Ninja Theory stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, but what's what's weird about this is kind of what we know of the background, which is that Capcom was pushing them yeah. to make Dante more different, but then. And it seems like yeah, I don't know if Capcom told them 
to say that old Dante was gay, but it, it certainly seems like this is the way that they chose to do it. It's like, hey, no, ours is cool. The old one sucked. Look, he was in Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think in a lot of ways, Ninja Theory has been, uh, trying to repent for the Devil May Cry era through Hellblade up until yeah. recently. They're like, sorry about all that, y'all. Um, the, uh, I just, I want to read this other part of, uh, Yushu's email that said, The other thing I thought was classic Dante is way more flamboyant to begin with. There's never been a sexual relationship suggested between him and any other characters, but come on, he spends most of DMC3 with his titties out, and he performs an improvised musical in its sequel. Which is, uh, very funny. We, uh, we also... Uh, Sean Kranitz wrote in and said, Dante being emo in DMC versus the originals, such a baffling nitpick. It's like people forgot about this scene in the first game with Dante holding a corpse and yelling into the sky, which is the famous, uh, supposed to fill your dark heart with light or whatever. <laughs> supposed to fill your dark heart with light! <laughs> Yeah, uh, great stuff. Um, so anyway, I just thought uh, I, I am so glad that uh, that they found that <laughs> slideshow presentation because what a what a fucking thing. And it is so it's like the whole I it's like Ninja Theory really seemed to be pushing themselves to become edgier because like Enslaved yeah. is a weird game. But it doesn't have any of that shit in it. So it really yeah. seems like they were like, okay, we got to do this for Devil May Cry. And look, you know what? You can't win them all. They made a fun game, but a lot of bullshit going on around that. That's, uh, you know, speaking of that, uh, let's see. There is, I want to find the the question about this. Um, Drew asks, uh, I've been meaning to ask this question since the Darkness miniseries. Uh, but I haven't gotten around to it until now. Has Blake's position on the fact that Rotten Games need to, quote, play like shit changed <laughs> or been revised since he first brought it up in the Canon Lynch miniseries? You guys have been really effusive about how good some of the recent Rotten Games are to play, right. so I wondered if that's moved the needle. Yeah, I, for listeners who maybe haven't heard that, I think this was years ago, so maybe got some of the details wrong. I think my point was, I felt like Kane and Lynch 2 was a better had was mechanically more in line with its themes than something like I think we talked about Last of Us Part 2 which would have come out that year when we were talking about it because Last uh -huh. of Us was too fun to play <laughs> compared to right. its like statement on violence which I stand by to some degree. Um but no, I I don't think they need to play like shit anymore. I think a lot of them do. And I don't think that's often intentional, but no, I don't know. Yeah, but it is, I mean, it is an interesting question because yeah. I do think that, like, I think it makes uh, Kane and Lynch maybe less conflicted, Yeah, you know, than, than something. I mean, it's like, something like Devil May Cry is so, uh, so cheesy and over the top that I don't think it is necessarily, like, experiencing dissonance to play well but i do think that like the hellblade combat is weirdly satisfying given how unsatisfying intentionally the rest yeah. of that game is you know like it's yeah. weird that like getting a parry in hellblade feels like really fucking good when right. the rest of it is like i'm not enjoying this i think well i think an instinction to a distinction to bring up as well is like Something like Hellblade and The Darkness 2, for example, are not necessarily games about video game violence or about violence in general. Well, I guess Hellblade has some 
stuff to say about violence. But, like, we -hmm. were talking specifically about The Last of Us Part Two and God of War 2018, which are games that, among other things, kind of want to unpack video game violence. Yeah. And I think the place we were pushing back, or at least I was pushing back, was, like, I don't think these games should be as fun because I just make I don't know. Go back and listen to the episode. I think, like, in the case of some of the games we've played in the recent seasons that are more fun, like, they're not necessarily trying to say anything about violence, you know? So I think yeah. there is a distinction there. Yeah, and kind of, I think, you know, in the in the same way that we talk about games that claim to be apolitical are still making a political statement, it's like, yeah. all of those games still are saying something about violence. It sure, is just sure, kind sure. of, like, unintentionally, rather yeah. than you know the yeah the very like this is a game about violence i don't know look forward to our upcoming last of us part two season which i'm going to uh duct tape jacob's hands to a controller and make him do (laughs) that's right um okay we got some more dmc trivia here uh this is from halen who writes i recently watched a video essay slash documentary by the youtube video or youtube video uh night cry the biggest train wreck in survival horror history by tango mushi And while it's very off-topic to go into how much of a train wreck that game's Kickstarter development and fulfillment was, it is on-topic to point out a weird DMC-related aspect to it. According to Tang Mushi's research, the assets of DMC were sold off after the game's lackluster sales, and the Nightcry team used the Dante's model for a character named Harry. Also, the model was used for some Vietnamese dental videos. I forgot to put the link in here for you, Jacob. So there you go. Uh, hopefully that link will go straight to the section. Oh, did you you watch the I part watched specifically? It. Yes, it's hilarious. Oh my god, that's just Dante. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. What the hell? So listeners, if you want to see this yourself, uh, sorry, this is not the most eloquent audio here. Uh, this is from the YouTuber Tango Mushi, Night Cry, the biggest train wreck in survival horror history. And then the timestamp is, sorry, I'll, I'll cut this It's down. like 620, 625. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting through an ad for Excel Energy. Wow, you know where there are no ads? Nebula.tv slash something rotten. That's right. Well, now I'm getting one for Diablo. Food. Oh, God, and I'm seeing the, the dental video. <laughs> oh, so my God, it's so funny. It's like, you know, I know... This is one of those things that it's, like, not being inside a video game development studio. I know that people buy and use pre-made assets all the time. Like, it's not like a better game makes all of its assets from scratch. Right. But it is so funny to just buy it and, like, not change it at all. Yeah. Just be like, this is exactly Dante. (laughs) Uh, So if you go to that video, it's it's 6 minutes 31 seconds. You'll see the spot that... uh... Was that about. is so funny yeah great great piece of trivia <laughs> are there any other examples of that like selling that specific of an asset that's so weird well yeah because it's two things it's one that they sold it and two that the other people bought it and used it unadjusted yeah and also like it wasn't like a no-name developer like that was the creator of clock tower like that was a game that was going to have some amount of attention on it it's not like it was just like some random steam game going up yeah though honestly i've i have never heard of it oh really um no nightcry i remember polygon did a story on it like many many years ago um huh that was pretty interesting okay what a weird thing also you see that thing that clock tower has like a new vr game coming out really yeah i'm pretty sure 
um it was like it was one of the things uh am i making this up i'm i'm searching and it's just giving me the last clock winder here's here's the thing we need to talk about uh-huh the little the little man from the clock tower series with the giant shears yeah. one of the scariest characters in horror history that shit creeps me out well and the um uh that was basically in one of those many versions of resident evil 4 that they made before yeah, deciding yeah, yeah. on one like that guy was basically in it when they show the footage of like leon being chased by a ghost yeah it's like the big scissors guy let's talk about this because i meant to bring it up on oh was it the call of duty no sorry not nebula listeners but let this be an ad for nebula uh-huh. bonus podcast where we talked about battles without honor and humanity second time we've talked about it now on this episode directed by kinji fukasaku one of uh, Japan's greatest directors, and over here in the West, you might know him for making Battle Royale. Jacob. Yes. Uh, he directed Battle Royale very late into his life, in his 70s. Um, his last film project was Battle Royale 2 Requiem, which he died after filming only the first scene, which m- meant his son had to finish it for him. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was not his final completed project. Do you want to know what that was? What was it? The cutscenes for Clock Tower 3. Wow. Yeah. So this is like one of the most important directors in Japanese history. His final project before passing away that came out was the cutscenes in Clock Tower 3. And they're fucking sick, dude. They are? Are they Are they like kind of early pre-rendered? Like when did it come out? It was Clock PS- Tower 3. It was PS2 era. Um, okay. Yeah, and- Clock Tower 3 came out in 2002. They definitely, like, have his style that, like, it was not super common to see kind of, like, handy cam stuff in video uh-huh. games at the time. Like, very shaky, um, like, I don't want to say documentary and stuff, but you know what I mean. Like, um, not on a tripod <laughs> type filming. Like, it, it had a, its own unique look that felt very distinct to him and unique for video games at the time. And there's also, like, a... um a making of documentary from back in the day you can find on YouTube. I don't think it's subtitled, unfortunately, but like, it's pretty well known that he worked on this and like definitely um, Capcom was promoting it at the time because that was a huge, huge name to be uh, working on a video game. Like it's a a weird little curveball right there. That is, that is so weird. I love stuff like that. Yeah. Um, The seventh guest vr that's oh. that's what i was confusing clock tower oh damn that's sick holy shit i want to play that seventh guest vr wow yeah i have no idea i have no idea what they're going to do to modernize it but yeah one of those weird vr projects where they're like technically this is an existing ip and we wonder why VR has never taken off in the mainstream with such tenpole titles like The Seventh Guest. All you need to do is buy a new $500 headset. <laughs> so you can play a 55-year-old video game. <laughs> All right, you pick one of these questions. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. I love hearing you guys discuss what does and doesn't qualify as rotten. It makes me wonder what game surprised you the most as being rotten when you weren't expecting it. This comes from Synth. Um, I like this, and my answer, I think, is Hellblade. Uh Uh-huh. If you go back, you can hear me question slightly whether or not Hellblade will be a rotten game, and my god, it was rotten to the core, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, but uh, are are there any games that stand out to you non something rotten games that ended up being kind of rotten? Um, oh, you mean like ones that we haven't covered? Right. That's a good question. I mean, they're all probably on on our list. You know, I think uh, I think it's very cool how or you know, I don't know if cool is the right word, but like. I have always been a fan of how hard God of War 3 goes into yeah. it. Just, you know, it's like God of War 1 and 2, uh, very violent games, you know, but like the yeah. kind of nihilism at the core of God of War 3, uh, I find really fascinating. And apart from Last of Us 2, might be kind of the biggest budget we've ever seen that at. Sure. Um, you know, just given the level of like production on it. Um Otherwise, I mean, uh, let me let me just look at our like our list of games because if something struck me as rotten, I've almost certainly uh, written it down. I think I got one. Yeah, and maybe this was a failure of my expectations or just not knowing enough about the game. Because in retrospect, I feel like people did talk about this, but Resident Evil Seven. Blake, I was just looking at that. Yeah. yeah. The only when I played that, the only because I I didn't play it until several years later after it came out. Um, the only thing I knew about it was people were like this is one of the scariest ones. I was not prepared for how fucking nasty that game was, especially um, I think about the the bug boss fight where she just got like bugs coming out of her private parts. Margit or what? Yeah. Not Margit. Is that her name? Margaret. The Margit's that boss in Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah, right. And just all the rotten meat everywhere and the torture I, scenes in that game. It is nuts. I think about that scene. It, wait, there are two similar scenes, one in this and one in the Resident Evil 2 remake, where you're talking to like a cop through a window and then, like, the top of his head gets That's pulled seven. off? In Resident Evil 7, he gets the shovel put through his head. The shovel shoved through. And then I feel like there's something similar in 2. But, yeah, I was thinking of that shovel thing. Yeah, in Resident Evil 2, it's the guy in the cell, and Mr. X sticks his hand through and grabs his head and pops his eye out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Resident Evil 7, I think, is a great example. Because even though that series had been, uh, had, like, had a lot of gore and whatever in the past, it is... It's, like, not exactly the same as a generational leap, but it is just, like, this is working in a fundamentally different area than Resident Evil 6 was. I I mean, it's, like, oppressive horror. Like, it is just, like, it's exhausting how scary and nasty and mean that game is. And I don't think any Resident Evil game had ever been mean in its horror before no i mean they had been mean in their like design where it was like hey yeah, yeah. didn't get enough ammo five hours ago sorry yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. start over but seven is like a, a mean-spirited game at times like just in uh-huh. how much nasty it's thrown at you so yeah probably that game um this yeah. is a fun question though i wish i had more examples i mean and, and you're hearing uh potential uh future seasons of this show I mean, Persona 5, maybe? I I have no experience with Persona 5. Uh, I guess, like, content warning, maybe, but, like, are you okay with mild spoiler, Jacob? You're never going to play Persona 5. Oh, yeah, 5. go ahead. Uh, so, Persona like, 5 the whole, spoilers. The whole thing about that game is, like, you know, you, the, you're going to try to, like, change the hearts of corrupt individuals, and one of the, like, first kind of big bad you go after is just straight up a pedophile at your school who has been, like, uh 
sexually harassing and I, 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 I think it's heavily implied sexually abusing uh, one of the characters in the game. And it was mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? Like, it gets really dark in those opening hours. Um, kind of stays that dark, but like it has it has that whole bright art style that I think kind of smooths it over a bit. But there's a lot of yeah. nasty shit in Persona Five. I mean, on on that lines, there is of course stuff like uh, like Doki Doki Literature Club, where right, like its right, whole right. bit is like you're not gonna expect what happens next. Uh, you yeah. know, and I have I have feelings about that game, but it is certainly a uh, uh, it's doing doing a surprising thing. Um, a, a similar one from Salamancer. Uh, they say, do you think a degree of hope, particularly unexpected hope that comes towards the end, disqualifies a game uh, for being something rotten, presumably, uh, for undercutting the nihilism? For reference, I think of Lobotomy Corporation for both of these, though I don't expect you to try and play the 50 plus hours you need to finish it. Uh, it uniquely gives me the feeling that this place was built on poison foundations, that tragedy is built, baked into the walls of the building that is your play space. Uh, but presumably, it ends with uh, a degree of hope. I'd never, um, never heard of lobotomy. No, never either. But I mean, to it, it, it's funny to read this question immediately after uh, talking about God of War three, because the end of God of War three is literally ah sparks of hope. Hope, it's raining down on the world, yeah. and it feels like so kind of out of nowhere that you're like, yeah. wait, what? Uh, and in terms of God of War 3, I do not think that the ending uh, changes how rotten of a game it is. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, Hellblade has a very happy ending. Max Payne yeah. 3 has a happy ending if you ignore the part where he is a terrorist. <laughs> um, so no, no, I think, I, think a ha- I think a hopeful or happy ending does not negate the rot in games um no but it does i think it does make it um less nihilistic yeah you know in the way that we've you know like like canaan lens two dog days the most rotten game ever made it's like the ending of that is they just get on a plane going somewhere and the door of the plane slams shut and there's like nothing else you know it's like there's Here's my question <laughs> yeah of the games we've played so far what has the best ending because if you ask me it's Kane and Lynch too. The ending of that game is gobsmacking. Well, of course you'd say that. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I think the end of Hellblade is really good. Um, I like. I really, I really like the place that that story ends. Um, but it is. Uh, it is of all the parts of the game that might be the least daring part of it. You know, whereas like it feels, it feels a little more expected, even though. We talked about how it subverts expectations, so I, it's like you, you can't beat Kane and Lynch two. Can we do another? Can we do Kane and Lynch two again? We gotta, we gotta do a couple more seasons before we can start retreading. Yeah, we do it like a a five part series. We can get guests on every episode. Dude, Kane and Lynch two, man. We should do a season just on the uh, promotional and ad campaign around Kane and Lynch two because it is fucking unhinged dude have you ever seen the like magazine ads for kane lynch 2 which i think one it just has lynch puking <laughs> and the other one is like no. like lynch all cut up and shit and then there's all the trailers of them like breaking doors down with bowling balls or running naked like crazy game fucking the best great stuff um uh all right nick asks uh 
just or says just wanted to affirm that i'm fairly new to dmc and this genre as a whole and the ninja theory one is the first one i've gotten right away i tried one up to about level 10 to 11 before getting frustrated and played a bit of three Oh, okay, so tried Devil May Cry 1 up to 10 and 11 and played a bit of Devil May Cry 3 before jumping into this DMC the Ninja Theory 1 for the podcast. I love the modifier buttons and the flow of combat, and now I want to dive back into the main series. Curious where you think I should go next, given that I may continue 3, but I know I love this game. Um, 5, right? I 5 certainly is going to, like... It, it it doesn't it has the least like kind of older jank that you would have yeah. to overcome. Um my answer to this is kind of try Bayonetta. You know, that that yeah, like yeah. if 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 you like the Devil May Cry uh vibe, like the the aesthetic and the lore, um I really like four uh quite a bit, but I think five is just the best one and also yeah. would provide a good place to jump in um but yeah try try bayonetta man like but that's that is a satisfying combat system in uh similar ways i think you could also like play metal gear rising revengeance yes which is yeah. not necessarily like if if the devil may cry games are a bit too demanding for you which like fair i don't I haven't played a lot of those games either because of that reason. I think Metal Gear Solid Rising Revengeance is a... Is that the name or is it Metal Gear Rising? It doesn't have a solid in it. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. How could I forget? Um, I think that game's a little easier or more approachable than even Bay... Than definitely Bayonetta, actually. Like, that might be kind of your jam. Also, just one of the best games ever made. Metal Gear Rising is, is such a like an interesting example of the genre because it's like the combat is not like it kind of doesn't matter what combos you do you know it's like the whole game is built around like parrying and so the whole like you know it's like the the complexity of the combat comes from like knowing when and how to deflect which is also pretty easy you know it's just there's kind of like an infinite amount of depth within that easy mechanic um yeah uh, or hey good good job starting spectacle fighters that's cool you know what you know a game you should play if we're going to be talking about the pantheon of spectacle fighters near automata oh hey great, great game probably doesn't hit the same buttons as devil may cry in terms sure. of it's like well it might hit the same buttons and then there are also 400 other buttons that it introduces have we ever talked about that game like me and you uh not on pod i don't think other than referencing its combat system man do you like that game i i like it i don't um for me it is a game that has a couple of sublime moments and is not as a package my favorite thing in the world but i think we've what we have talked about is like the last hour of that game unbelievable the way that they're where where it's like yeah you're on the like separate elevators and you're like swapping between characters is like and to the game's credit you only earn that after making the player do like 40 hours of other stuff you know it's like if you tried to bust out that level in the 10th hour of the game it would not work i think that might be the most i've ever liked a game 
in the moment while playing it. And I've, like, started yeah. multiple replays. And, like, one day I'm going to commit to replaying the whole thing. Because I really want to re-experience it. Because I don't remember a lot of it at this point. But I do remember just, like, playing through that and be like, it don't get better than this. And a few months before, I played Yakuza 0 for the first time. Insane year for gaming. 2017 was out of control. I also played Horizon Zero Dawn, which stands out to me. Oh, I think... No, that's the thing where there were, like, three months where, like, you know, uh, so many... It was, like, Hollow Knight and Breath of the Wild and Near yeah. Automata and Night in the Woods Persona all came 5. out. Yeah, but it was, like, yeah, a a truly, a truly nutso year and even just, like, span of weeks for is, games to come out is automata a rotten game um i mean it's certainly in with like the last question it ends incredibly hopefully you yeah know, i i don't i think we could play it on this series um i think there are certainly rotten parts in it but like it's almost got too much going on yeah. You know, it's like it's not focused enough on just the rottenness because it has like 20 other things it wants to say. It, it's actually shorter than I remember. Main story, only 21 hours. Here's the thing, folks. Nebula TV slash something rotten. We'll start playing these longer games if you start shelling out that money, baby. Yeah, well, and Pay up. and you'll get to hear what we're doing uh, next season, which I'm I'm pretty excited about. Um, all right. We got some questions on rottenness. Now that you got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is two. We've, we're combining two questions here. Now that... This comes from Zed. Now that you guys are doing this podcast so often and are seeking out and playing so many rotten games as opposed to discovering something's, rot, something's rottenness... <laughs> that's funny. Something's rottenness. Uh, organically every now and then. How do you think that changed how you think about this media and or its rottenness? Do you find yourself more into rotten media the deeper you climb? Or do you think that some of the shared elements, motifs, and general ugliness will get boring after a while? And I guess one more related question. Is it actually more or less enjoyable to be caught off guard by a game being super fucked up in this kind of way instead of knowing going in? And do you have any stories of being completely blindsided by a game like that? And then Mustafa asks... Here, well, why don't... Let's let's talk about that one and then we can okay. do do this one. The The last part is similar to the other question that we got of being uh you know being yeah. surprised but i think it's a really good it, it, the beginning of that is almost the question about like you know playing video games for work or or like analysis instead of just like playing them because you like them because it's like yeah your relationship does change to things when you were kind of looking for something specific in them yeah i mean this I don't think this is necessarily specific to games because I actually think outside of the podcast I don't play many rotten games on my uh -huh. free time. It's like I'm playing like Street Fighter Six and Zelda right now, um, and not being like I, I'm gonna go play Amnesia or some shit. But I do feel like hey, I'm gonna go play Amnesia. Hey, have fun. There's a new one coming out, right? Uh, it's out. Oh, look at that! I've never played the Amnesia games. I do though th seek out. Like in uh, movies and books, it feels like rotten media more often than not. Um, so in that way, I don't think this podcast has changed my relationship with that media. More that was just a large part of my media diet. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
I don't think this has changed my game playing at all, other than to say it means I play a lot more video games than I did before the podcast. Because we're yeah, I mean you're you're probably gonna like beat more video games this year than uh, almost you know, certainly, it, it, almost certainly. For me, it's like. I do think that um, in a similar way to how I approach playing games for my, like, YouTube essay writing job, where I do kind of find a game, and sometimes instead of just thinking, this looks fun, I think this seems like a kind of yeah. rich source for analysis, which I really enjoy, but are different calculations. You know, sometimes I play something that I wouldn't, if I didn't have a YouTube channel, because I think this will be a good thing to talk about here. Um, I, I certainly, I was like curious about the darkness, you know, PS3. I never would have gone back and replayed that right. if not for this show. Um, and so there are, there are things that, you know, we're playing because of this. Um, but I think, you know, in, in terms of like the question of like, will it get boring? The thing about continuing to do this show is we are kind of expanding the definition of it. And by doing yeah. so, we are getting exposed to lots of different permutations of what this theme could look like. And so it's like, even with the last season, Hellblade and DMC are nothing like each other, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like aesthetics or or even philosophy they just both kind of happen to be about violence and are both made by the same developer. Uh, but it's like, you know, I'm I'm not like, oh, another one of these. I think if we if we went back and we're kind of only doing like PS3 era shooters, we would get bored more quickly. <laughs> yeah, here's a, here's a question from a longtime listener, Blake Hester, that I'm curious about. You uh, aside from games, you, you encounter any rotten media recently that you were stoked on? Hmm. I don't, I mean, I, d unlike you, I feel like I I seek this out <laughs> more in games and yeah, less yeah. in real life. Um, you know, I, I have, I have talked about on online, uh, several times. Um, one of my favorite current authors uh, is this guy named Nanakwame Ajaybrenya, uh, who recently wrote a book called Chain Gang All-Stars, uh, yeah, which yeah. is a book about like a, a prison like it, it's essentially near future dystopia uh gladiatorial combat with prisoners being like hey yep. you can earn your freedom if you fight and it's like that book is certainly not nihilistic it has a lot of heart it mm -hmm. has like a you know a, a philosophy that's pushing but reading that or especially reading some of his short stories there are parts that feel so brutal and hopeless that they are uh yep very rotten feeling i mean his his previous short story collection which is called friday black has these you know incredibly politically poignant stories but you read them and it's you just feel like awful afterwards which which i feel yeah. kind of kind of goes in with the the rotten theme but other than that i don't know not not really i watched the mortal Kombat one trailer yesterday does that count <laughs> Yeah, dude, that shit was so gnarly. Um, I really want to read Chain Gang All-Stars. I might go pick that up later today. Um, Good book. Walk to Barnes & Noble. I've been I've been reading books by uh, Ryu Murakami recently in the last mm -hmm. year. Not to be confused with Har Har Haruki Murakami um, or Haruka. 
Anyway, different authors. Uh, Ryu Murakami wrote Audition, which might be his most well-known U.S. book because it was made into that uh, Takashi Miike movie. But uh, he has two books. Oh, gosh. Um, In the Miso Soup and Piercing. Piercing's a sequel to In the Miso Soup. And I would love to do them for the podcast. They are rotten to the core, just like, and kind of examining just, uh, granted, they're a little dated now. I think they were late 90s, early 2000s, but just like examining kind of the uh, the life of people in their mid to er- mid to late 20s, early 30s, and kind of where they fit into uh, cities and relationships with sex and other people and like capitalism and uh they they, jacob they're fucking gnarly we should read them look i just googled this book and the first like review on goodreads is in the miso soup is not the kind of book you bring home to meet your parents it is lurid it is frightening it is unpredictable hey sounds good there's a scene and is that what you call parts of book scenes Never thought yeah. about this before. Passage. There's a moment in in the miso soup that was so fucking scary that I was like, "How the fuck did he get away with this?" Like, just what a character does is so insane that I. Could... That's. You know, I'm always. Oh, and this is. It seems uh, pretty short. Oh uh, yeah, like they're like two hundred pages. If that, with also big typeface in them, so you just fly through them. Have you ever been, really, like? Not, not like, read something in a book that was, like, fucked up, but been, like, actively frightened by a book. Because I yeah, dude. can kind of only remember one, like, when I was a kid. It, like, book scares don't really work on me as well. Same. The scene in Coraline when her when her otherworld parents are coming after her with the, with the big buttons and the sewing uh-huh. needle. Bro, I, <laughs> that's fucked up. Neil Gaiman's a bitch for that one. That was not cool. <laughs> That shit was so scary. Mine, uh, mine is from uh, the. I mean, and also, it's like I have to separate it from art because, of course, yeah. we were all scared of the scary stories uh, to tell in the dark, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. illustrations. But there was one story in that book that was like, it was someone. It was just some kid in their bedroom, and their bedroom was at the top of the stairs. And they heard, like, a voice that was like, I'm standing on the bottom step. I'm, like, standing on the, you know, second step. And then it was like, I'm standing right next to your bed. And then they, like, called for their parents to turn on the light. And there was no one there. And, like, that was the whole story. But, like, I was uh, and am uh, so scared of the dark. And my childhood bedroom was at the top of a flight of stairs. And I was just, like, so fucking freaked out every (laughs) night just thinking about that. Those, uh... Those most recently, uh, piercing and in the miso soup had parts that like got under my skin. Real, I don't know that I was necessarily scared, but like I was deeply unnerved by parts of yeah, that. yeah. Because um, it's like you know, I've read, I've read like Chuck Palahniuk, you know, books or whatever that I find kind of revolting, uh, yeah. but not. I, I, I'm never, I'm never like eek. I hope they don't get me. You know, even when reading kind of freaky Stephen King stuff, but I haven't dove that deep into, like, horror fiction, and I'm sure there is some stuff now that I would uh, get get all all freaked out by. We should do a series going back to some of the Chuck P books, seeing if how those age, because I just really wonder. No, uh, we shouldn't. I'll read, I'll read, I'll (laughs) happily read In the Miso Soup and Piercing. I don't, okay, I don't want to read those books and be, yeah. Let's do a bonus. 
let's do a bonus pod on those two books. You could read them in a weekend. They're awesome. Um, okay, so then we've got this the second related question by Mustafa. Um, does a game simply having rotten elements and themes, such as cruel violence, child abuse, and misogyny, make it rotten, or does it need to relish and revel in its rotten elements and ideas to be rotten? I think the you know I think I think in the the true definition of rotten game it does have to it has to like those parts you know or yeah you know it 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 has it does have to relish them in a way um i think that there are you know plenty of i mean there are one million games i could name with misogyny that aren't necessarily rotten um and the same same goes for uh you know a lot of a lot of violent games that aren't necessarily uh whatever um but it i it is it is kind of a play it by ear type of thing you know like it is child abuse is something that they point out it's like i think it's pretty tough to put child abuse in a story and not have the point of the story be somewhat related to child abuse you know that it's like that is such a just kind of like unignorable theme that i feel like the whole work is influenced by that uh, in a way that, unfortunately, there are a lot of things that have misogyny in them that are not, like, about misogyny. Yeah, I don't think games just having those elements always make them run, you know? But I do think, like, games that... Exp- but we also, like, won't cover a game just because they have rotten elements, you know? Like, we've talked about why we're not going to do something like Hatred or Postal mm-hmm. 2, and it's like those games have all the elements that make up a rotten game. There's just nothing more interesting there to do with it. Yeah, I mean they are they yeah. are rotten. They're just not not like interesting, you know. And it's like yeah, if you look at these, it's like you could probably find all these thematic elements in like Final Fantasy VII, you know. Not, <laughs> yeah. but that that game, as much as I like it, not really a rotten game. Yeah, and I mean relishing and reveling in it. I I feel like the big outlier going forward is like Hellblade does not revel in its rottenness like it, it, it's deep in it but it doesn't necessarily it, it feel is, like... but it's it's fucking it's in the muck though yeah 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 but like some games feel like they are almost more celebrating the rotten yeah and hellblade no matter how nasty it gets it's never like winking and nodding at the player like ain't this cool the way something like darkness does or even some parts of manhunt yeah it's like you would never make you know those like like uh those like kill montages that people make with Last of Us <laughs> yeah, Two, yeah. where they're running through and like throwing Molotovs and whatever. It's like try as hard as you could, you could not make one of those with Hellblade. Now hold on, now I'm curious. Hellblade kill montage. Well, I've told you the first thing that comes up when you search Hellblade is Hellblade ASMR, which I cannot imagine why any person would want that. Jacob. Okay, there's not too many, but pi- the intrepid <laughs> YouTuber Pixel Sauce and Miva25 are doing brutal combat montages for Hellblade. Wow, they, you know, never, never say never. Most, wow, and the use of, I mean, we use, I wish I used the word insane less than I do. Right. You know, that's a right. word that I would love to take out of my language. The thumbnail of this says most insane moments in Hellblade, <laughs> which may be the least sensitive <laughs> labeling of a video about this game you could possibly use. Jesus Christ. Um anyway, that's it. I think. 
That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it, man. Next season, we're not we're not saying what it is, but it's gonna be a barn burner. I think. I hope. I haven't actually started the games, but I'm I'm yeah. more. I think I'm more excited about this season than I have been for the last several, which I've been excited for all of them, but like this is the one where I'm like itching to get into it. If you can think back to kind of your expectations of this season, like the Ninja Theory one, what, how were they met or subverted or, you know, changed? Uh, I was like kind of dreading Hellblade because I uh-huh. did not have very fond memories of that game playing it the first time. And. I still don't like that game in a lot of ways, but like I left Hellblade way more positive and like interested in talking about it than I expected to. Like I was not looking forward to playing that game at all. And I think was more interested in talking about it than even DMC, which is a game like from the onset was more excited to actually go back through. And I think was a little more disappointed by it than I expected to be. Well, I have to say, I think DMC came out more of a rotten game than I expected. Because oh, sure. I, yeah, yeah. I mostly, I, you know, I've played that game probably like a dozen times, but I think I had only watched the cutscenes once. And yeah, so, yeah. like, I did forget the plot elements of it. And I was like, okay, this does, this does fit. Like, we're not just mm-hmm. playing this because it's, a silly game and then they went on to play, make a really interesting game afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot how gnarly that game gets. Like all the baby stuff I had completely forgotten until right. we were playing that again and that shit was nuts. But yeah, I think the um I think the most surprising thing about the season for me was like going back to Hellblade and like really kind of like sinking my teeth into it and be like, I still don't like this game mechanically in a lot of respects, but I think I forgot how actually interesting that game was, you know? The most surprising part for me was forgetting that it ends with a direct sequel tease. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because earlier we had been like, they're making a Hellblade 2. How are they going to do that? The first game ended so conclusively. And the first game basically ends with her saying like, Hellblade 2 going to be on the Xbox Series X. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think uh, exiting the season... Hellblade 2 is like one of my more anticipated games which I did not expect. Oh to be yeah, true. I kind of I I thought I th- kind of thought we were going to see it at the Summer Games Fest thing, but I guess yeah. Xbox has a showcase on Sunday, so we might see it then. I hope so cuz they I have you gone back to rewatch the trailers? Oh yeah. I'm I'm Whew. fascinated. Especially like some of the behind the scenes stuff where they're like, "Yeah, we're just uh, putting Iceland in our game one for yeah. one." I'm like, yeah, I just I want to I really want to know how big it's going to be. We talked about this a yeah. little bit, but it's like is is it just going to have super good graphics and be like about the same scale of game, or is it going to be you know twice as long or have like an open world or you know whatever? Now that they've got that Microsoft money, anyway. Uh, this has been our Ninja Theory season. Uh, stay tuned for our bonus episode on Nebula. And uh, I don't know. Stay cool, everyone. Uh, just remember that uh, Dante from Devil May Cry was in Brokeback Mountain. Go back and rewatch that movie if you don't believe me. <laughs> I've never seen Brokeback Mountain. I should watch it. Yeah, Dante from the Devil May Cry series. He's there. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Bye.